Today's Bible reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1, the whole chapter. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him to be before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we, have, we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. It was a deposit guaranteeing in all our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the richness of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the almighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all these things under his feet and appointed him to be, him to be head over everything but of, for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Excellent. Good morning, everyone. Normally at this point, I would say something to the effect of, my name's Etienne, and I get to speak for the next bit here. You know, I'd say, I'd say a couple of things to give you an indication of, um, of who I am. <laughs> but no matter what I say, you know, in that couple of lines, there's no way in which you can really know who I am. <laughs> Who are you? 
question of this series. Not what's your name, not where do you live, who are you? <laughs> what is your, your identity at the deepest level of who you are as a person? <laughs> what defines you? Who are you? It's an important question. Here's why. Because who you are determines what you will do. <laughs> who you are in life and who you think you are in life, who you truly are in life, will inform and instruct and determine what you will do in life. Every big decision with relationships, with major choices you have to make with regards to what should I do with my life, what sort of jobs should I do, how should I treat this person, how should I treat these people, everything, every single one of those are directly related to who you are <laughs> and who you think you are. That's why we're doing this series. We're embarking on a series through a letter that a man named Paul, he was a Christian, he, he writes to a group of Christians in a place called Ephesus. This is some 2,000 years ago that we're talking. And uh, they had a range of issues that they struggled with, uh, big things in life that they had to figure out, what are we going to do? <laughs> How are we going to live? Well, what decisions are we going to make with a range of things? I won't tell all of them to you now because we'll pick them up as we work through this letter. But this guy, his name is Paul, writes to them, and, and, and in his, his encouragement and his advice that he gives them, he starts by telling them who they are. He knows they need to understand who they are. They understand who they are, they will know what they have to do. Chapter 1, we pick up Five things about who they are. Um, before I get into them, there's just one verse, one premise that I want to just address before I get into this whole series. And it comes from this verse, verse 3. By the way, verses 3 to 14 in this chapter is one giant sentence. Thank you for reading the entire giant sentence of 202 words. The closest parallel... I'm under correction. I think in the entire New Testament is 55 words. If this guy, Paul, had an English teacher, he or she would hate him. It's an appallingly written sentence. The punctuation, the greatest of minds don't quite know how to break it up. <laughs> and I certainly am not going to do it justice today. I'll lift out some things that I think are very important, very particular to you and me. But that's what we have to deal with. 202 words. Verse 3 says this. Praise be to God, the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Who gets to say who you are? Here's the question. We're going to think about who we are. Who determines who you are? 
who gets to say who you are. Most of the world, most of the people you know, most of the people alive today have their identity or, or who they think they are determined by one of three things. Number one, the world and the culture in which they live. Others. She's divorced. He is a gamer. She's good looking. She's not. He is a conservative bigot. She is an activist. She is cool. He is not. The world. It has to put you somewhere. It is going to put you somewhere. And we listen to it. Because that's what everyone says I am. That must be who I am. Right? The world. It's one source. The other source is <laughs> I, me. In fact, you live in a culture, if you are not aware of it, where almost the epitome of freedom is that I get to say who I am. Uh, I get to choose who I am. I want to be a female. I'm clearly not. But I want to be, and it is my right, it is my human right. I get to say who I am. And, and no one and nothing dare, should, tell me any otherwise. You know? and, and I'm not getting into, into the sensitivity of that and how Christians need to lovingly speak to that, but I am pointing out that this is the world in which we live. We get to choose ourselves who we are. This is the culture in which we live. Number three, um, if you are a Christian, if you, if you, even if you're not, but you're just open to spirituality, um, Satan. You're worthless. You're a failure. You're useless. They really need you. <laughs> they can't survive without you. You are so important to them. <laughs> Satan speaks to us all the time in all sorts of thoughts, in all sorts of ways about, about who we are. Here's, here's what's different about everything that you're going to hear in this series about Christianity. Who gets to say who you are? Who gets to shape and determine your identity? You know, the gospel tells us <laughs> God gives us our identity. Who you are in, in the Christian thought is, is given to you. You don't choose it yourself. The world does not define you. Satan does not define you. God defines you and he defines you in Christ. That word occurs 216 times in your New Testament. It's such a massive deal. Who you are is who you are in Jesus Christ. You are like him. You are not him, but you are like him. 
in Christ. Praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Praise him that my identity, who I am, does not rest on the world or on Satan or even in what I want to say to myself in my sinful and fallen state, but on who God says I am. That is where we look. That is where we find who we are. Okay, chapter, five, chapter 1. Five things in chapter 1. It is a fairly long message, and I'm going to work through these five things fairly quickly. All right? Number one, who are you? <laughs> I'm chosen. <laughs> Quickly throw your eyes over that verse for me on the screen. What sort of what are the words that strike you there? What are the prominent words, the ones that jump out at us quickly. Just yell them out to me. Before? Sure. Before the creation of the world. Yep, yep. Any others? Blameless. Yep, blameless. Yep. Holy. Yep. Yep. Predestined. Mm, yep. I love what I'm hearing because you're taking... <laughs> You're a bunch of great, mature Christian people. Uh, <laughs> you're not the wallies I thought you were. I thought this was going to be great. No, you're right. All of that is true. The controversial bits that we struggle with is I'm chosen, <laughs> I'm predestined. That's the stuff that gets our, our, our backs up sometimes. We think, oh, I don't know about that. Um, you know, a bit unfair. Some are better than others. Uh, the chosen ones, or I'm the chosen one. And it sort of gets us really uncomfortable. We're picking up on the wrong things. The thing we must get there is to be holy and blameless in his sight. Here's an illustration. I need a volunteer. Anyone want to help me to write something on the whiteboard, please? Hayley, yes. I'm choosing Haley. Haley, can you please write on this whiteboard that it is super cool. It's all right. <laughs> That's a part of the script. <laughs> Thank you, Haley. I love it. All right. Here's, here's the thing. Let's talk about this. I chose Haley to do something here. Why did I choose Haley? Because she's super cool. I look way cooler than her. I need to wear a beanie. I think that's what it is. It's in the beanie. Truth is, I did not choose Haley because Haley is any better than any one of the rest of you. Okay? Haley's choosing and my choosing of Haley for this task has everything to do with me. In fact, it has nothing to do with Haley. I had a purpose. My purpose was that something should be written on this board, and in fact, something should be written on this board about me. It had nothing to do with Haley. <laughs> God's choosing of his children has in essence nothing to do with his children and everything to do 
with his purpose for them. You were chosen in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. <laughs> to show to the world how good and glorious and awesome God is so that they may believe in him too. That is the only reason, the only justification, the only basis if you're a child of God on which you were chosen. Thanks, Haley. You can grab a seat. You are, in a sense, as a child of God, if you're, if you're chosen in him, you're like the moon. You know, the moon possesses no beauty and no grandeur of its own. It's a dusty, dark planet in our solar system. But it revolves around the sun. And when the sun shines on it, its beauty comes out. It reflects the beauty of the sun. And, and, and in being chosen, being predestined, somehow in this deep mystery of why God does this, we don't know, but we do know that the purpose is that we can reflect his beauty and his glory. Should I marry this person or not? Who am I? I'm chosen to reveal the glory and the beauty and the splendor of God. Will this marriage bring that out of me or will it not? Yes, it will. Go ahead. No, it won't. It doesn't fit with the purposes that God has for me. Will I be friends with these people at school or not? Are they going to make me more holy and more blameless? Yes. Be friends with them. No. Don't be friends with them. <laughs> Who you are determines what you will do. That's how it works. You are chosen for a purpose. Understand that. Know that it will guide you in the big decisions you need to make. Number two, I'm chosen, I'm a child. <laughs> I'll never forget that scene. Anne of, Anne of Green Gables. Um, read it, watched the Netflix series, intend to finish it, still at some stage. But the moment when Anne, for those of you familiar with this story, have been taken in uh, into Marilla and Matthew's household, there's this scene, at least in the Netflix version, where she gets to stand in front of the family Bible and the occasion is where she gets to write her name in that Bible. <laughs> Anne Cuthbert. <laughs> a child. <laughs> You're a child of the sovereign creator of the universe. Not a not a minion, not a, some worthless little slug who slaves away under the burden he imposes on you. No, a, a, a child. <laughs> a child in which he takes pleasure. You think of yourself in that way? You're adopted into sonship, into childhood through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure. God looks at you, it's pleasure. Fills him with pleasure. <laughs> I'm loved. We were on holidays recently. Our children had two books. I don't know how we ended up with those two books, but we would, had two books to read to them every night. Number one was, we're going on a bear hunt. 
There's great theology in that as well, but I'll leave that one for a different day and a different sermon. Number two, the little nut brown hair. <laughs> How much do I love you? <laughs> oh, I love you from my toes to my tip of my head, the little nut brown says, oh, I love you from the tip of my toes to the tip of my head, big nut brown hair says, and they have this conversation backwards and forwards, and if you know the story in the end, you know, it ends with little nut brown, I love you to the moon, and little nut brown falls asleep, and big nut brown says, well, I love you to the moon and back. There's tears today, but it's true. God loves you to the cross and back. How can you be worthless? How can you be how can you be invaluable? No matter what he said, no matter what she said, no matter what they said no matter what the thoughts in your heads are, <laughs> to the cross and back. You're loved. You couldn't be more loved, possibly. Despite everything that's not right in, in, in life, in, in this life, in your life, despite everything about your failures, you, you are loved, you are redeemed, you have redemption through his blood. The way we measure love is not by distance, but by cost. And in that currency, no greater love has been shown. Blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on you. I'm chosen for a purpose. I'm a child. I'm loved. Right? Number four and five, I'll I'll roll into one. (laughs) I know, I know the hope that I have uh, firstly, I, I, I know <laughs> scientists and psychologists, I love watching the experiments where they often put rats in a maze and the, the rat has to kind of work out if it, if it can make its way from A to B and I don't know what they learn from that, but it's cool. It's cool to watch and it's pretty funny sometimes to, to see how that all pans out. Um, But you know, the truth is that the rat lacks something, he's at a distinct disadvantage. If the rat really is going to to, to navigate this maze, make the right decisions in the circumstances as they present themselves, what the rat really needs is the rat needs to be lifted up so it can see that it is in fact in a maze. It needs to see the route, the plan. It needs to understand where it has to go. And of course, the rat does not possess that capability Dear child, you, if you belong to Jesus, are not a rat. You know the plan. God has revealed to you the plan. You know that you were created in God's image. You know that some stuff went wrong, but that you were redeemed and loved in Jesus. And you know that no matter how imperfect, no matter how broken, no matter how absolutely painful and hurtful this life is, you know that he is in the process of reworking and transforming and redeeming a world which is 
as we will soon see, going to come together in the fullness of Christ. Your life does not lack meaning. Your life, despite its imperfections, does not lack purpose. You have that. And you know that. Countless, countless many in our world do not know that. And the confusion is born out in, in our suicide rates. It's born out in our domestic violence. It's born out in our, in our drug addiction. They do not know that. In broken relationships, you do know that. <laughs> he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. Okay. You may have meaning. You may have purpose. But some of you have such broken circumstances in your lives that you still lack probably the greatest thing of all, hope. <laughs> and guess what? You have that. You have that. You know the hope that you have. Let me just read this verse to us before I move to a close. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That phrase, under Christ, literally means that what God's going to do, this is his plan. He's going to sum everything up in Christ. Who is in school at the moment? Hands up. Who has maths at the moment that you have to do? Yes, you do. Every one of us had maths. And the way we were taught to do maths was like this. You know, we, we do addition this way. Uh, gee, I better get this right. Um, Three plus three plus four equals. Thank you. Just checking if you knew the answer. This is not how Greek people did maths. For us, we work our way down and we put the sum, the conclusion in the bottom. Greek people didn't do that. They did it differently. For <laughs> some reason, they, they went uh, three plus three. Plus four, the sum of all that was ten. The sum went up the top. For them, for some reason, you know, the details and how we got to the sum was in some ways uh, not insignificant, but not as important. The important thing was the sum. The important thing was where this is all going to end. That is the bit that matters. And you know what Paul is saying to these Ephesians? There are so many things in your life that's not right. <laughs> but it's got to be summed up in Christ. It's going to conclude. God is going to conclude it in his good time, in his good pleasure, in his good and perfect <laughs> uh, mystery of his will, in something that is full, that is complete, that is whole in Jesus Christ. And so you deal with that. <laughs> you live with that hope. That no matter how the, the parts of the sum is not right and is not looking right, the promise and the hope is firm and it is secure. It is all going to be summed up in Christ. Okay. Let me move to a close. I, I really don't know about you, but, you know, the truth is, um, I hear that. And I think a lot of you hear that. 
and you're saying today, you know what, I, I get it, but I've, I've heard it, you know. I know that I'm chosen. I know that I'm a child. I know that I'm loved. I know that it's all going to end up well. But right now, when I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror, I don't go, yes, <laughs> I'm a child and I'm loved. And you know what? Um, everything I have to face today, all the people at school and university and, and, and in my family and my broken circumstances and all those things, my job that I hate, I, you know, I don't think of those things as mere details and go, ha, thank goodness, it'll all be better in Jesus one day. It's all good. I, I just don't. And, and I bet many of you don't either. It's got to change. It has to change, church. This, this is what Paul says to these Ephesian people. You know what? Your identity. You have to start experiencing and feeling, dare I say, who you are in Christ. How does that change? How does it happen? How, how do we get to that point from where we are to there? Here's how. Uh, the hint is, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God's put his spirit in you. He's only made a deposit, to be fair. The full mount's still going to come towards the end, but it's there. He's there. The way we get to experience our identity is when he starts doing the miracle that needs to take place in our lives. What is that miracle? Paul prays for it. Here's what it is. Here's what he wants that Holy Spirit to do. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That you may know better that you're a child. You are loved. You're chosen for a purpose. You have hope. Your life does not lack meaning or purpose or value. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know. Know, in biblical language, is a, is a very loaded word. To a degree, it means to experience, not just to know in your head, but to know it when you look in the mirror on Wednesday morning. Actually, see everything who God says you are. You may know the hope to which he's called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in you, his holy people, that you may know, you may experience his incomparably great power available for those who are in him. What sort of a power? Is it powerful enough to overcome my feelings of worthlessness, of guilt, of uselessness, of pride, of anger, of whatever the world and the devil and I say myself? What sort of power is powerful enough to overcome that? Same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. <laughs> you have that power. Is there a greater power? Is there a stronger force in this existence of ours that can change our understanding of who we are and therefore how we live? No, there's not. 
That's the same power that sits far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, above the culture, above your own views of yourself, above Satan. It's above every name that's invoked, not only in this age but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him head over everything. Father, I, I, I can't add to what you have prayed for us in your word. I just pray that it becomes true. I, I pray that it becomes more true in, in my life. I pray that it becomes more true in every single person in this building's life. That we would know better who we are because we know better who you are. That we will have a greater encounter a greater experience, Lord, of who you say we are. Fill every person here with your spirit to that degree. And Lord, let it make a change. Let it make a change in how we love others. Let it make a change in how we deal with our challenges. Let it make a change in who we see when we look at ourselves in the mirror every single day. And I ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.